Welcome to Tall Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here in the studio with fellow producer Amber Healy. Good morning, Amber. Hi, Mike. And uh, crowdsourcing. What is it and how can journalists use it to do their jobs better? Today we're talking to Jan Schaefer, who is one of the writers of a new guide for crowdsourcing from the Tau Center of Digital Journalism at Columbia University. Welcome, Jan. Hi, Mike. Hi. I'm glad that you're back. You were on a podcast a a very long time ago talking about the J-Lab, which you still are the executive director of. Correct. But you've also been getting involved in a lot of other things since we last spoke. And one of them is this this report that you... uh, you uh, put together uh, with a few other people about crowdsourcing. So uh, it's always a good place to start by defining our terms. What is crowdsourcing? A definition was a really important part of this report because the term crowdsourcing has become so conflated with other things. Some people think all comments on a story are crowdsourcing. Some people think Anything you mine from social media is crowdsourcing. Some people say distributed reporting, interactive journalism, social journalism is crowdsourcing, or UGC, user-generated content. So we, we wanted to focus on a very specific journalistic definition of crowdsourcing, and here it is, okay? We call crowdsourcing the act of specifically inviting a group of people to participate in a reporting task. That could be a a news gathering task, a data collection task, some analysis. And it has to be through a targeted open call, a solicitation for input, for your contribution, for your personal experience, for your documents, or anything else you have to offer. So it's a very, you're eliciting something very specific. You're not just harvesting stuff. So it's not quite as passive, I think, as many people had had sort of assumed crowdsourcing was. Oh, right. you've written the story, you've reported this. Well, why don't you go see what people are saying about X on on Twitter or Facebook? It's very targeted, and actually, in many instances, very structured. Okay, can you sort of give us some examples of yeah. uh, of newspapers, news outlets that have have done this sort of crowdsourcing successfully? So we sort of find that crowdsourcing takes two forms. One is an unstructured call-out and one is a structured call-out. So what's the difference? Well, an unstructured call-out is just an, an open invitation. Email us if you have information. Call us. Contact this journalist. Vote on something. And a good example of that would be um, um, what CNN Digital's uh, John Suter is doing with many of his stories. He he invites uh, listeners at CNN and to vote on the stories that he should do. So he's a huge project out now called Two Degrees. It's a climate change project that says if the world's temperature changes two degrees Celsius, that's the, the threshold when disaster happens. And he gives his, his listeners like 20 ideas to vote on. And he is incredibly amazed at what they choose. And then he goes and, and does journalism on those topics. So that's uh, an unstructured call-out. A structured call-out really is a, a much more, um, you're targeting your audience, you're asking people to respond to a very specific request, and then the responses come into the newsroom in a way that it might be email or SMS, but it's often a, a Google form or some kind of searchable database so that the newsroom is, is using this data to build their journalism. So an example of that would be what ProPublica is doing with Vietnam veterans uh, who, who were exposed to Asian Orange but um, are having difficulty getting you know, medical coverage for those costs, where they 
they so target the aged orange community that they, they will actually go on the websites of ships where these veterans served around Vietnam and tap into the community that way. So it's very targeted. This is probably something we're going to get into in a bit, but the tools that we have as as journalists, as people who are in the world and who are curious and looking for stories, there's never been a better time to be looking for information because we have all these ways of contacting people. And that's, that's incredible. I have an uncle who is a Vietnam vet and right. was in the Navy. And, you know, I know that he's kept in touch with some of the guys that were on his ship. Right. But they've largely, you know, scattered to the winds, those who are still with us. And right. that's and, incredible. And I think that... It's really the, the the creative web technologies that have emerged in the Internet that has allowed crowdsourcing to take off because now you can really keep track all along the way of how you reach out to your audience, how do you organize what they give you, how do you maintain contact with them because a key part of crowdsourcing is not just saying, taking what they have to offer and say thank you very much. It's, it's continuing a two-way conversation so that you build that community and you tease out more contributions. So people give you stuff like like the Agent Orange story. And ProPublica will do podcasts with little tidbits that they get from the story, which, which then entices more people to give you more contributions. And in the process, you're really building a community of news consumers who are very interested in the topics that you're covering. Something that you said sort of reminded me of uh, something that uh, I think it was The Guardian had, had done where they had yes. gotten a huge mass of uh, documentation and they actually reached out to their to the community to help them sort of sort through the documents to, to try to identify things that were significant to the story. We actually do a case study on The Guardian's crowdsourcing in our report. And The Guardian has done a couple of amazing projects that are really worth looking at. One was tracking uh, the expenses of members of parliament where a couple of years ago they asked people to say you know here's what we have in the in the documents that they filed help us confirm whether it's true or not and then they have a very big crowdsourcing project going on right now called the counted and it is as tracking every um, police uh, affiliated killing of someone in the United States so they're actually you know building a database of that and and what happens is that you get a defense attorney or somebody who's filing suit who will fill in data that you can then verify as a journalist wow that, that that's really neat it, it provides such a, a level of uh you know coverage and depth to your coverage i guess right. is what i'm trying to say how is this really kind of different than than the sort of reporting that we do already where we just go out and find sources and, right. and fill things in well i think that you know I certainly, when I was a journalist, you know, you'd pick a topic, you'd do a story, and then you'd look around for people to illustrate it. And often that was talking to people in the newsroom or talking to your friends or, you know, talking to an advocacy group. It's it's finding an example. We talk about how the New York Times, in our report, how the New York Times' Elizabeth Rosenstahl crowdsourced her 10-part series, Paying Till It Hurts, which is about health care costs. And she says, normally, I would go to a hospital I'd hang out in the parking lot. I hope to find people I could interview. You know, it was kind of low yield all in all. (laughs) But instead, you know, what she's done is is put a call out on the New York Times' website, emails on the bottom of their story saying, I'm doing a story on hip replacements. Tell me what you paid and what your experience was. Or I'm doing a story on mammograms or whatever. And you get really... In all of her stories, she got people that were crowdsourced who, who raised their hand and says, I'll tell you about what I experienced. So it's it's a much richer source of 
information to build your story on. And I'm, I'm wondering, because sort of the scenario that you, you described is, you know, if a journalist goes out to cover a particular story and is trying to get a balanced story or whatnot, and that, that journalist has to make some sort of decisions about who they're sort of talking to. And when you sort of inter- introduce the aspect of crowdsourcing, you then begin to get sources maybe that you would not necessarily sort of reach out to right. instinctively, I guess. You get what you get is what I would call a subgroup. Because um, very often when a reporter starts a story, you kind of have the narr- a master narrative in your head of what you think it's going to be. But crowdsourcing can help uncover some counter narratives that you might not have known about or other issues that you wouldn't have thought about. And, and they become, you know, other parts of your story. So it's a, it's a very efficient, actually, way of doing things. Yeah, and I like that because it kind of it sort of explodes the whole concept of, of pre-writing your story. Right. I mean, it's I think it's important when you when you begin a process to try to identify, you know, who where the different elements are. But I mean, you can't you can't just write this that story. You have to write the story that is. Right. And quite often, you you find these sources and people who are bringing you stories that, you know take you off in a direction that, that you weren't even prepared for. Right. But you got to listen to them. If you don't listen to right. them, I mean, it's no sense crowdsourcing if you don't intend to pay attention to what the contributions that people are giving you. You know, you gotta, uh, the other nice people. thing is, you know, um, we've all been reporters. We've all been in the field. And when you're sitting in a hospital parking lot trying to find someone to talk to about something, probably nine out of 10 people are going to be like, I don't want to talk to you. Right. If you're actively asking for people who have a particular story to share that with you, you're only going to get people who want to talk to you. So that's going to cut down on all the wasted time that, let's be honest, as a reporter, you have a lot of wasted time trying to track down something that you can't access. And not only that, they have knowledge. Sometimes mm-hmm. they have documents yep. that add verification to what you're doing. And they have a lot of passion often about talking about sources. what their experiences were. I also imagine that you have to maintain that sort of journalistic skepticism as well. Oh, yeah. To, to make sure that you're not getting, for lack of a better word, a crank right. who has a particular axe to grind that may be very tangential to what the, the scope of the story is. Right. The question of verification comes up a lot in crowdsourcing. And, you know, a lot of news organizations worry about crowdsourcing because they worry that they they might get bad information. Um what we heard and what we say in our report is that from the most sophisticated crowdsourcing pr- practitioners, that's rarely a problem. It's unlike user-generated content. People who are passionate about a particular topic actually have something to say about it and often have something that you can verify about what they're saying. So, How do you sort of approach this then? I mean, I, I, the way you sort of describe it, especially if you... you Rather than than the, the the reporters and the editors being passive and you know trying to find information to plug into thing from, a, from something from a crowdsource, you actively have to okay this is this is a story that I want to do. How can we get the the public involved and the right public by meaning the the people who are involved in this story? So it it requires a great deal of thought ahead of time. I would imagine and it requires an enormous amount of. And it's a very high-touch exercise because you do. You have to think about what's a call-out you want to do, how you're going to organize your information, how you're going to reward the people who contribute, how are you going to keep them contributing, what are the stories that you're getting, what are the sub-stories that you're getting. Do you, do, you, do you launch a Facebook group at the end of it to continue the conversation? All of this is before the journalism actually happens. So it's very high-touch. But I think – really where news organizations start is to try to figure out what the call to action is, what you want to ask 
your uh, your users, your consumers to do. And in our report, we've actually focused on what we identified as six different calls to action. The simplest would be voting. So like in Curious City in Chicago, you know, they invite people to uh, vote on questions that they would like a news organization to answer. The CNN Digital, John Suter, they're inviting people to vote. Very simple, you know, tell us what we should be covering that we're not covering. One that you see very often is kind of a witnessing act of crowdsourcing. So you've been involved in Superstorm Sandy or Katrina or, you know, any one of uh, natural disasters that happened. You can put a call out to people who have eyewitness accounts to share, who want to share video or audio or their stories with you or their phone numbers of people who know. Another is just sharing personal experiences, divulging what you know about your life experience. That's kind of the tell us something you know that we as a journalist don't know. And that would be the Agent Orange example. I think there's higher level of that is tapping specialized expertise, which is a kind of you have very unique knowledge. We know you have unique knowledge. Tell us the specifics of what you know. So you have websites like clearhealthcost.com happening around the country where they're actually comparing costs of medical procedures in a region. So you need a new knee. Well, here are the 10 places in in Washington, D.C. where you can get it, and here are the costs of each, you know, based on what people have told us they paid. And then there's the completing the task called action where the journalists want to do something, but they need they need help. And good examples of that would be um, WNYC in last winter storm. You know, the mayor was saying, oh, we've we've plowed all the streets. They're open. They're open. And WNYC put up a map and, and invited people to say, Okay, you tell us whether your street is plowed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they would map whether that street is plowed or not. I mean, a reporter couldn't be on every street, but the, the community can. In the case of ProPublica, they had a wonderful project called Free the Files. Um, they got logs of political campaign spending from uh, on the air, on uh, broadcasters, and they invited the public to go in on their local stations and and actually track what kinds of campaign spending was there. You know, they marshaled a reporting corps of hundreds of people to do that. And then finally, you know, crowdsourcing doesn't all have to be heavy. It can be fun or playful. And I think WNYC has showed us how to do that. I mean, they did the cicada trackers where (laughs) you put a sensor in the ground, and when the ground reaches a certain temperature, you know that the locusts are going to emerge, you know, um, and... You, they'll give you these little sensor kits to do it around the country. So there's a bit of citizen science in, throughout some of this. Or they did a campaign called Bored and Brilliant that invited listeners to put down their cell phones for a week and see what you would do with your time if you weren't, you know, looking at your screen. Anyway, it's, it's fun. What I like about this is that quite often, you know, I think all journalists get to a point where they feel like they're writing the same story over and over again, and they're, they're, they've got the same approach to something. Right. And this is sort of a call to be imaginative. You know, how can I tell this story differently? How can I get different people involved in it, get different voices in that story? And it requires you to, to put a little extra thought into right. something. Well, I think it's not only a call to be imaginative. I think it's also a call to figure out what your value proposition is as a journalist. You know, so many journalists are doing Me Too stories, the same old stories over and over again. And and how do you produce something that is 
really different, really unique, and really touches the community in a, an important way. And then it's also how, especially for many of the digital news startups that we see, how do you start building your community of loyal, you know, readers, listeners, subscribers, whatever they are, you know, they're going to be, have more staying power than an itinerant advertiser will. And so if you, if you start thinking of crowdsourcing as a way to, to build that relationship and make, make your journalism more of a, more of a catalyst for helping things happen for that community and less of just a plain commodity where people can get it anywhere. I think it suggests new routes that news organizations could travel. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of lip service given to reader engagement. And quite often, you know, a lot of people, reader engagement goes as far as I write something and you read it. And that's all the engagement I really want to have. Or maybe you'll make a comment on me, but you're actually involving the readers in your journalistic process, uh, decision-making, you know, voting on which stories that you're going to write on or providing in the reporting, providing you with content and sources and things like that. And I think that's like reader engagement inside and out. You you and I have been to conferences mm-hmm. where they're constantly saying reader engagement is the key, reader engagement is the key. But man, this you know, crowdsourcing seems to be the place where you can do something like that and make a, a, a significant difference. We take note in our report that several news organizations are taking very divergent paths in terms of audience growth and engagement. And in some instances, news organizations are opting to count engagement as, well, how many comments did I get on a story? How many unique visitors did I get on my website? How many tweets did I get or social social shares or whatever? Um, that to them is engagement, and they want those kind of metrics. Other news organizations are looking at reader engagement in, in a more hands-on relationship fashion. Crowdsourcing would be a big piece of that that says we're building a relationship with these people. It's a two-way conversation. We want to maintain that conversation after the the one-off story is done because we'll have another story to do down the road. And metrics may be very different. Metrics may be, gosh, did our stories get shared with uh, my congressman? Did a law get changed? Did, you know, an advocacy group do something different as a result of what we reported? You know, did something happen? We have impact as a result of our story, which is very different than the kind of metrics we start. We're starting to hear about audience engagement. Well, yeah, and I think when you go back to things like clicks and shares, where it's things that are measurable, that quite often the things that are driving that are actually the business side of the business and less the editorial side. And where you know, if there's a way for us to get sort of that touchy feely, uh, reader engagementy sort of part of what we do, you know measure that, uh, give us that value, I mean, that's that's what, how you build a sustaining audience. It's more challenging to measure it. Yes. And it requires human eyeballs sometimes. At least at the, this point in time, nobody that I know of has built the perfect tool to do that, whereas you have dashboards that will easily measure the social stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's easier, you know, that's easier to sell in the way. But, you know, you think about, like, PBS you know, in the old days where you'd have corporations who would be uh, supporting it not because they maybe they particularly believed in the content or the the number of people that they were reaching, but that they recognized the quality of whatever it was going, and they wanted to be associated with that quality. Right. I mean, so maybe the the metric is quality. 
Right. You create reader engagement. You create something that's interesting. I want to be associated with that. Right. If it's if I get ten thousand people out of that, if I get a hundred people out of that, it doesn't matter. Or create journalism that no one else is doing. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the crowdsourcing seems to be a way to do that. Why now? Why was why did you feel that there was a need to do the guide, or, or do you think this was just something that? It was time for us to sort of bring these pieces together. Yeah, I think the Tau Center had interest in in the topic. There is a lot of confusion about what it is, or at least a lot of messiness about what it is. It's like citizen journalism. Citizen journalism, you know, (laughs) was everything from user-generated content to individuals who would launch their own news site or a hyperlocal site. I mean, the terms, we're using these terms to apply to so many things. And when, when you do that, it's hard to figure out really what's going on in a, a certain zone of what you want to talk about. So it was an opportunity to kind of figure out, well, how, you know, how should we define crowdsourcing in journalism? I mean, certainly you have Mechanical Turk and you can crowdsource labor and you can Yelp, you can crowdsource restaurant reviews. But in journalism, how, how should we be defining it? And then can we create some a taxonomy around that, some typologies that will help people understand how it's being used. Now, is the idea then is that now that we've sort of defined it and then these are the different areas that we recognize, quote unquote, journalistically, is this is crowdsourcing, is that this in some way is a, a well, it's a guide. So it's a guide for people to do crowdsourcing? It is. I mean, it, it will give you, I think, both from the calls to action we identify and the case studies that we identify, it can give people in newsrooms, a, journalists, a clue as to how they could start. We also identify, however, tensions that exist in the, in the industry. I mean, not only is it the tension of how do you want to how do you want to grow your audiences, but there's a lot of tension between reporters, especially investigative reporters who kind of don't want to telegraph what they're going to be working on in a crowdsourcing (laughs) campaign because they want to hold it very close to the vest. And uh, there are tensions about, well, how much do we verify and all of this and how do we verify? So, I mean, we we point to that too. But I also think our research uncovered no clear-cut business case yet for crowdsourcing. So we suggest that that's a, a research area to still be developed. We we think there are clues that there's a strong business case. There are clues as you get a very loyal audience. There are clues that when WNYC does crowdsourcing, they get more grants and more donations and their, you know, their campaigns. And we don't really know what the specific impact is of some of these projects. No one has really tracked it through all the tributaries of, of what could happen. So I think there is a case to be made or a case to be explored as to how crowdsourcing leverages either grants, members, revenues, maybe not advertising revenues, but revenues from your from your loyal community. So sort of following up on that sort of thinking, then, you know, I'm I've got a newsroom. I don't have a ton of resources. Is it economic for me to to crowdsource? I mean, to to launch a project that that you know, may not have a, a some sort of return? I mean, is it something I can produce with a, a limited amount of resources? It's, we found it to be, we found the most successful crowdsourcing campaigns to be very high touch. So you've got to dedicate a person to man it. And then you do need to keep talking to this community that's giving you stuff. You can't just say, thank you very much, goodbye. Um, it, it, it has to, have a way for you to reward them or acknowledge their contributions. 
that said, and, and there are times when you will try to crowdsource a, a project and, and you just ask the wrong question and it's not going to work. WNYC doing Superstorm Standy thought, well, maybe we should crowdsource the price of gasoline because there were fears that they were going to run out. They were gouging her. Yeah. Right. And then they pulled back and they said, well, wait a minute. We don't want to put on the air where the most affordable gasoline is and have people run there and use up their last remaining gasoline and the pumps are empty. I mean, you, so, you know, you, you want to, you want to be careful. And I think we had an instance where KQED in San Francisco, they were doing a partnership with Clear Health Costs where they were asking about the costs of contraception. And really that wasn't what KQED's audience wanted to know about. They, you know, wanted to know about the costs of, you know, uh, colonoscopies. I mean, it's a demographic kind of thing, but, you know, I mean, it's kind but of... it's a question. That, you know, it was yeah. just mismatched to the audience. Yeah, maybe it's not quite as sexy to get uh, right. colonostomy <laughs> um, uh, crowdsourcing uh, out there, I guess. So you, you a couple of times you mentioned reward, rewarding your the people who are helping you out. What, what forms does that sort of take? Well... ProPublica has got an amazing tool that they use to do this. They actually took a, uh, a government vendor called Screen Door that manages requests for proposals, and they've turned it into a crowdsourcing management platform where they can not only organize the data by the person, but they can email back that person by their name and say, you know, dear Brian, you told us you had a heart attack the last time. Tell us more about this. It will allow you to be very specific in emailing back. So certainly you thank people, you email them back, you ask further questions. If you're doing the Agent Orange story, you're asking for their military records to affirm that they were indeed a vet. You are running little podcasts or little pull quotes or little pieces from people saying, see, you're helping us with the story and this is what we, you know, Mm -hmm. this is what we valued. Please tell us more. Um, You'll email people when the story's out when pieces of the story is out you ask some more questions you might start a facebook group and let them join a facebook group to continue the conversation there are really so many ways that um news organizations trying to figure out how to interesting because it's you're you're dealing with a touchy-feely aspect of crowdsourcing but you're also the reward in itself is sort of touchy-feely right and it's all very you know again back to reader engagement well it's also i mean really it's it's a very simple it you're asking for a favor right and you keep rewarding them by saying, this is how we're using right. what you gave us. And, you know, we really value you and your time because you don't have to right. you don't have to do this. But, you know, we appreciate you and all you've done. But I wouldn't call, I mean, the way that these news organizations are approaching it, I don't even know if touchy-feely is right. Structure is right. Mm-hmm. These news organizations are putting very defined structures around how they're doing this and how they're making the call-outs gathering the information, creating the two-way, you know, on-ramps. And it's it requires a lot of creativity and a lot of thought. Hmm. The, yeah, I, I see what you're saying because people, people do respond to structure. If they feel you're just asking just a blind question, right. they may not take you seriously. But if, if they see that you put some effort behind it, that you respect their opinion and respond to it, then, you know, that, again, that just... It sort of builds that 
that dialogue. Well, and there are terms of use issues throughout here, too. If somebody gives you very personal information, they're going to want to know, how are you going to use it? going to quote me by name? Where will mm-hmm. it appear? Can I see it for, you know, all of those issues surface. That dreaded question that journalists always get. Right. Can I see it before you publish? Right. And again, it's, it goes back to trusting. You're asking the person, you know, do us a favor, give us your story, mm-hmm. trust us to use it appropriately. Right. Because um, because journalists are so trustful. Hey, some of us are. <laughs> <laughs> Despite what some news organizations exactly. might say about themselves and misconceptions and their and their other and, and, well, and, and whatnot, we are very trustful because we care strangely. Because we, we have to be in order to do the job, we have to trust that people will read it, that people will respond to it, that people right. will want to tell us their story, whether we're crowdsourcing that information or whether we're just sitting in the in the parking lot right. or out at a park or doing whatever it is that we're doing to get our job done. Yeah, we're, we're journalists. We don't choose this career because we want to victimize people. We want to. Uh, we hopefully make, not. We make it. Di- <laughs> no, the idea is that we want to make a difference. Yeah, and that we recognize that everybody has their their perspective and their experience that we sort of want to bring into this. Which is why we need multiple sources on every story we write. Exactly. Anyway, because that's why we have ethics. So you make sure you're dealing with an ethical journalist. <laughs> um, speaking of ethical journalists, I'm a, a reporter at you know maybe a small news outlet. I want to want to tackle this crowdsourcing thing. How do I sort of work that into uh, my daily, weekly process? Well, the simplest simplest way to do it is put an email at the end of your story, preferably at the top of your story, actually, saying I'm working on this and um, I'm I'm looking for people who have experienced this, done that, bought this, whatever, um, please email me, you know, and put it out on Twitter as well. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a very, that's what we would call an unstructured call out. And that's not hard to do. Sort then, of like a cold call. Yeah. 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 But then you got to have a way to organize what's coming in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some of these, um, when CNN asks people to vote, they get 38,000 responses. I mean, you have to be able to handle, to organize what you're getting. Yeah, it's funny. The, the The coincidence of this this interview is we, we just put out a, um, a story this week where we were soliciting people. Uh, it's it's open season now, which is when uh, federal employees are, get to choose their health insurance right. plan. And so we put out a, you know, hey, if you've got a question, we'd, we'd be happy to help you answer some of these questions. And we started getting these responses. And we're, and it was funny is, is that you, you enter these things with this sort of well-intentioned, but then suddenly when the, the questions start coming in, it's like, okay, well, how do I organize those? How, how do I make sure that I answer them fairly, respectfully, and then understand also that maybe there's some questions we can't answer right. mm-hmm. and we shouldn't be answering because we're just a journalist. We're not necessarily an expert, but we do our best to get, you know, if somebody's asking you f- basically f- the equivalent of financial advice. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, can you do that? Probably right. not. Right. Um, so then it's like, so for us, it's like, well, maybe this is a thought we should have had before we actually entered into this proposition. But now that we're into it, we're going to have to figure this out. And Google Forms is what a lot of news organizations are using, but they're even finding limitations there. So that's why when a ProPublica finds some other tool like Screen Door, I mean, everyone wants to know what does the back end look at like? How can we, how can we make it do a lot more than just be a, um, a spreadsheet? So, what are you hoping comes out of this this guide? Well, I think I hope it starts a conversation about. Value propositions in journalism, relationships in journalism, um, engagement in journalism, how to grow an audience. I also think, and we take note of this in the report too, that 
crowdsourcing really is showing how journalism is becoming more of an iterative process and not just a product. It, it shows how you have audience entry points from the story assigning phase to the pre-data collection phase to data mining to sharing expertise to collecting personal experiences to continuing the conversations after the story on Facebook or wherever. All of these are very different stages of a story that I think typically journalists aren't used to thinking about so much. We, we collect our notes in a notebook and that's it. But crowdsourcing provides a lot of different entry points for an audience to participate and a lot of different opportunities to kind of make the process of journalism interactive. Yeah, and I think it was uh, Jeff Jarvis who said that our, oh, whole yes. pro- our whole process is now for everybody to see. Right. And you can look at it from anything from like the Boston bombings where, where, where the news was unfolding on Twitter and you, you're seeing how the news outlets are trying to verify information and, and gather information and seek out sources and then have to write the story and update the story and, and, and just the whole process changes. Right. And it's the wonderful thing about the and the terrifying thing about the, the technology we're dealing with. Not that we're you know trying to control it, but just understanding that. It used to be we would go, we'd do our interviews, we'd come back to the newsroom, we'd write something up, we'd post it, and then we'd move on. Mm-hmm. But the story is always living and is always changing. And, you know, people see that now, which I think is good. And I think that when you're also doing a call-out and you get such huge response, I mean, ProPublica got some, like, 3,000 vets responding so far, probably more by now, um, to Agent Orange, you know, wow, that. There must be some there there if you're mm-hmm. right. if you're touching that kind Certainly. of board. Right. And that goes back to really what, what's our journalistic mission at all anyway? Right. I mean, are we just supposed to just – we're supposed to make a, a mean, something meaningful in people's lives and providing them with something that they can use and, and, and enrich themselves. And so if we do that by you know, crowdsourcing, by you know, getting those 3,000 veterans – and, and de- telling their story and, and you know ex- sharing their concerns, I think there's, I mean, there's your there's your value mm-hmm. in, in moving forward. I, I mentioned Jeff Jarvis in, in sort of passing, but you uh, one of the things we were, we talked about before we got in here is that you're going to be involved in some stuff with Jeff Jeff and also with uh, Carrie Brown, who was right. on our podcast not too long ago. Could you sort of talk about that? Yes, I'm. Um, I've been working on their social journalism program. This is their inaugural year. The year is ending. And um, students are filing um, their, what they call their practicums, which is what they actually did in the communities that they targeted, what their deliverables were, how they engaged their audiences, what their metrics were for that. It's really fascinating to see how it's, um, how it's evolving. And, and to help students sort of think about the, the various entry points is beyond a dashboard. I mean, if you've done an event, if you've done a partnership, that's a deliverable as much as getting so many tweets on a story. So it's, it's been fascinating to work with them on this. Yeah, I've done, we've done a couple of podcasts about this whole idea, that something I didn't even think about events, that event planning right. is part of journalism now. Right. And you know maybe you're creating a, an event, which is you've got five speakers who are going to talk on, a, on global warming or, or homelessness or something, and then that, that's part of your journalism now. Right. Evan Smith was the one who said events are journalism. You know, a person can learn about something by reading it or listening to it, mm-hmm. um, or they can learn about something by attending and, and listening to an author, a legislator, or a, a newsmaker of some sort talk about it. And then if you're smart, you're videotaping these things and putting them on your – it becomes mm-hmm. content for exactly. your, your website or becomes a podcast or whatever. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. The new, that's the new paradigm, I think. I'm mm-hmm. sorry to introduce the word paradigm. I, I try to avoid using that, but – 
but that's what it is. I mean, things are things are changing. I think for the better. Is that journalism is not just one thing anymore. It's lots of things. Right. It and, has and to it, be. It has to be exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that we've solved that. <laughs> so once we next week we'll we'll come back next week and we'll talk about the business model, and uh, we'll crack that. Great. Okay. Sure. <laughs> people are wait for, waiting We're, for that. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much for coming in, Jen. <laughs> Thanks, people, Mike. Thanks, people Amber. can people can find this report where. It is on the Tau Center for Digital Journalism's website. Okay. Well, I'll make sure that there's a link to that. I won't give you the long URL. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. Google it. Um, Go find it. I'll, uh, I'll make sure that the link's on, on uh, our website. Uh, and it's called A Guide to Crowdsourcing. A Guide. Can't get any plainer than that. Yeah. With very good SEO. Right. Like, I need to look for a guide to crowdsourcing. Right. Let me type that in. Hey. And, it takes you, and guess what comes come. up first? <laughs> That's smarts. That's digital smarts. All right. Well, thanks for coming in, Jan. This Thank great. you, guys. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also download episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter at alljournalism. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.